Learn how to use your love of learning to take bigger risks with your business and make a bigger impact with my guest, Katie Anderson, on this episode of the Enough Ready podcast. Had enough? Ready to turn your career into your own consulting and coaching business? You're in the right place. I'm Betsy Jordan, and with my background as a consultant, entrepreneur, and personal brand builder, I'm here to give you inspiration and guidance to own your brilliance, shape your brand, articulate your message, and get seen and paid as the expert that you already are. This is Enough Already, the place for consultants and coaches to learn how to create businesses and lives that they love. Welcome to the Enough Already podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and today we're talking about the connection between learning and having a learning mindset with exponential success with my guest, Katie Anderson. So Katie is a leadership consultant. She's an entrepreneur. She's a keynote speaker and a best-selling author. She's also a Fulbright scholar who has lived all around the world. And she has built her career and her business success on her learning superpower. So she doesn't just talk about learning as a business strategy or as part of her consulting. It's what she lives. It oozes out of her. It's a subject of her speaking and her book. And this is what I originally thought was going to be the focus of our conversation. Thought we were going to talk about how she identified this learning mindset as the foundation of her thought leadership. But when we got to talking, it was all around the power of learning and having this mindset and this lifestyle of learning and how it is transformative to organizations and to us as business owners. So in our conversation, Katie shares about her unique experiences starting her consulting business, moving to Japan, forging a deep connection with long-term Toyota executives who gave her insights into the role of learning and the continuous improvement culture of Toyota. But then we go deep into the power of having a learning mindset and how it creates the conditions for excellence and risk-taking and so much more. We talk about our shared experiences as internal consultants, taking the leap into business ownership and how to stay resilient and focused when scaling to new heights, all because of the learning mindset. So as your virtual mentor here on this podcast, I want to encourage you to listen into the conversation with Katie from a couple angles. So if you are a learning and development executive coach or um, any learning development professional, you definitely want to listen in because she's got some best practices that you can integrate as part of your consulting and coaching because you can be the person who helps create these environments that are learning organizations and these positive environments like Toyota became and what Katie helps her clients do. So you'll get some best practices and she gives you insight into where you can get even more best practices. But if you're an entrepreneur, here's what I want you to listen for. Because one of the things that we all deal with as consulting and coaching business owners is that we're always in this place where we're stepping outside of our comfort zone, you know, either to start our business or scale our businesses. So all of those fears and imposter syndromes come up. What's really cool about what Katie shares is she offers a strategy that's already aligned with who you are as a development professional. You are like Katie. You love to learn. Now, learning is Katie's superpower. And this may be one of your superpowers. It may not be one number one, but it's somewhere in your mix because you're a development professional. So listen in on how you can use this part of who you are and what you're naturally good at to quell those fears when you are taking bigger risks with your business. And of course, if you need more personalized support from someone like me, I'm only a Zoom call away. Head on over to my website at www.betsyjordan.com and learn more about my services. I offer end-to-end creative support services for the fun and vulnerable stuff that's essential for bringing in high impact, high income consulting and coaching business to life. So without further ado, now onto the show. Welcome, Katie. Yeah, great. I am Katie Anderson. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I'm a global citizen having lived in seven countries around the world. I'm a best-selling author, a leadership coach and consultant, and really focused on helping leaders and organizations develop cultures of learning and of excellence. So that is fascinating. I'm definitely going to want to unpack what it means to have a cultural learning and excellence. But before we get there, I'd love to take you back in time. Like, tell me, how did you have this business? Like, is it a new business? Have you been at it for a while? Like, what made you decide to start your own business? Yeah, great question. I came from a, you know, all of our career journeys are a little circuitous sometimes, I actually started my career, wow, it's a long time ago, 25 years ago in healthcare policy and research. And I've always been a lifelong learner with a passion for 
pulling together and synthesizing information. And I thought I was going to have a career in academics. And the first, oh gosh, seven, eight years of my career were actually spent in academia doing health policy research. But I felt that there was a missing aspect of like a connection with tangible outcomes in human beings. And I moved into more of uh, internal consulting roles in healthcare operations and did that. It was really passionate. And that's where I got- can I interrupt yeah. you real quick? So you, sure. did you have an actual internal consulting or did you slip into it? Like, were they looking for an internal consulting yeah. role? So they, I was, for first I was working for an external consultancy. So that really taught me, helped bridge from academia into more consulting about, um, I was working at PricewaterhouseCoopers in Australia and it was, it was a great, I was in my late twenties and really gained some different skills than I'd had in academia. When I removed, when I moved back to the United States, they were looking for what were like process improvement specialists, which were really internal consultants who would go out and be assigned to different parts of the organization to sort of help solve big, important problems. And I loved it. And, you know, I was so committed to the purpose and the mission of the organization. And I loved going in and solving big problems and really helping the people who were doing the work, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the administrative staff, make their lives better and make our patients' lives better. And that was the focus of my career for 10 years as an internal sort of consultant in healthcare organizations. I got really fascinated by the leadership competencies of how do you do this organizational change thing and do it effectively and also create learning, ongoing systems of learning and, and continuous improvement. And it was 10 years ago or just under 10 years ago that I made the transition to start my own consultancy and left my last senior leadership role in a healthcare organization. It was interesting. I actually didn't think I was ready to start my own consulting firm, um, but for a few factors in my personal life, I thought it was time to step away from you know, the traditional nine to five. And it was so empowering and amazing. I had contracts under negotiation before my last day of work. And that wow. was the beginning of my consultancy, it sort of happened by accident. And then I had this serendipitous opportunity to move to Japan in 2015 for just under two years with my family, which led to me having really enriched experiences in Japan, meeting a Toyota leader, Asao Yoshino, who's the subject of my best-selling book now, and has morphed into being a huge part of my consulting practice of taking leaders to Japan for week-long immersive study trips and then now I've, since I've been back in the U.S. for many years, expanded my consultancy doing mainly leadership development and training programs, coaching, consulting, and advisory services for how you set up and manage these change from moving from a sort of a command and control traditional leadership style to more of a learning leadership style. We have so many different angles we need to go on. I know. Um, but one thing I know I get asked all the time. So one thing you and I have in, in common is that we had an internal consulting role. So my role was an internal consultant as an organization development consultant. And it sounds like you had a similar kind of role as a process improvement consultant. I get asked all the time, like, how do you get started as an internal consultant? And you and I have a very unique experience there. Any tips for people who want to get an internal consulting role that you could share from your experience? Yeah, we had in, in all the organizations or the several organizations I worked in while being an internal consultant, as well as supporting those types of teams as an external consultant, all of them brought in people who were operational leaders or, con, you know, in the organization to be in these consulting roles to have like an immersive experience. So if you are working in an organization and you have a passion for, say, organizational development or change or leadership or continuous improvement, Find out what those groups are in your organization and make connections and find out, do they have sort of an, a part-time, you know, share, you know, shared role? Do they have some sort of internal development? Is there an opportunity to step into that role? Because often organizations, the skills that you gain from an internal consultancy can be applied in any part of the organization. And so I found that a lot of times organizations really welcome bringing people who have deep content knowledge, but also giving them the consultancy I guess, skills, because that really, the consultancy skills really are really leadership skills as well and can help you sort of amplify that into the organization when they go back into an operational role. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is just like parlay whatever you're doing and try to be that person who's facilitating the other groups of people. How I wound up with my first internal consulting roles, I pitched it. 
I went to the VP of HR. I had an idea. I was in grad school and I wanted to be an OD consultant and I thought they should have that department and I pitched it. But I, even though I got the job, I didn't always have the responsibilities because I had to keep proactively, you know, putting myself in there because when you're a consultant, you don't really have a formal place, even though you might have a place on the org chart that you, you know, but you don't really have a formal place because you're not part of the regular um, day-to-day work. Do you feel like your abilities as a consultant, like leading from influence and not having that formal place, did it help you when you did transition into your external consultancy? Absolutely. Because the same skills that you have to learn about setting relationships and clarifying roles and identifying what's the objective of this engagement, even if it was a you know, an internal project on a small scale or multi-year skills are the same skills that you need to have when you're scoping work with, as an external consultant and building that relationship. So asking those questions, you know, what does good look like at the end of this, you know, and clarifying our roles, who owns what. Um, and I think one of the one of the biggest challenges I both experienced for myself as well as other people who have moved into either an internal or external consulting role is not getting clarity on who owns the work. So, you know, as a consultant, are you there to advise, help, and teach? Or are you there to deliver specific outcomes? And having real clarity on that is so critical um, to the success of the initiative, regardless if it's internal or external. I have a, a blog on, on my website and I call it consulting versus leading. And I actually have like, where's that handoff point? Mm. Because that's the most essential that when people are leaving from an operational role, it's like, it's great to have the technical skills, but you no longer own the work. Yes. You know, it's your job to frame up the work for the client, but they own it. And you have to be really clear on those responsibilities and understanding that role clarity. So that's a really important part as well. So Absolutely. when you- I'm oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was gonna say, absolutely. When that, and when that conversation hasn't been had, it like, to me, I've discovered it's the root cause of so many sort of, I, I guess those soft challenges of um, expectations and when things are falling apart and a hard transition for many people who go from an operational role to a consulting role is recognizing that you're not supposed to have all the answers or come up with all the solutions yourself. As you said, it's about the framing and guiding people through that journey, but ultimately it's about helping them get there rather than you getting there and just, you know, it's like teaching someone to fish rather than just giving them the fish. And I think that there's something that people don't understand is how powerful leadership by influence is versus leadership by positional authority. You know, that whenever you facilitate a meeting, the person who has the marker you know, I'm the most powerful person in the world, in the room, not in the world, in the room, because I'm the one who's guiding the conversation. So it's like owning the process, not the content is so much more powerful than we think, but it's more like personally powerful rather than I'll tell you what to do, which kind of goes along with your whole philosophy on learning. Is it in being in these consulting roles that gave you like, like, tell me about this learning component and you taught, you mentioned learning in several different ways, learning cultures, learning as a learning and development specialist. Where does this learning side of you come from? You know, Betsy, you know, you've had some offline conversations around this too. I've been a lifelong learner. In fact, my, and the strengths finder, my number one top skill is learner. I think I've just always had this quest for knowledge and understanding and new things. It's just been so core to who I am but not just interested in things like learning for myself, but also interested in helping other people learn and develop and be exposed to new ideas. And so that's why I love what I do now, because it's sort of <laughs> that wonderful combination of that too. Um, and what I've really discovered too about leadership, regardless if it's leadership through a title or leadership through influence, and you could say consulting or coaching as well, as that our role is really to help other people learn and discover and have aha moments. And that could be, you know, personal coaching, which is having some aha moments about yourself, or it could be from an organizational side of having, learning how to problem solve, learning how to set strategic direction, learning how to create alignment, and also learning how to have experiments and what those real learning cycles are that we're not sort of accepting that we don't always have the right answer. In fact, we're very unlikely to have the right answer immediately. So how do we go through these cycles of learning and do that faster 
And that's going to get us closer to a better answer or the right answer or the solution that's needed as well. And so uh, I just love that process of, um, of learning and discovery and that and the reflection that has to come with it and how really even working with people together, we can accelerate our learning by asking more questions and helping each other see things from different perspectives. So what were you like when you were a kid? Were you the kid who just asked questions all the time? Mommy, why, why, why? Well, I have one of those. So I, I have two kids right now who are eight and 11 and um, my oldest one in particular, that is uh, who he is. But I, you know, I certainly was a question asker, but I was more of an avid reader. Like I just, you know, I would go to the library with this brown paper bags every two weeks and fill them up with books, um, fiction books, nonfiction books, and just plow through them. I was a, a really fast and early reader and just like just endless synthesizing of, of information, and, you know, as a real academic as well. So like, I like to apply that knowledge and thinking um, in other, in other ways too. But I, you know, I don't know, it's just always, I've always been out on this quest for knowledge. And then is that what fueled your international travel as well of wanting to learn? Yeah. You know, I, I think those two coupled together, I've, my mom grew up in several different countries and I had an incredible opportunity to do some traveling. Her, her, her um, brother actually was stationed in many different countries. And so we had some opportunities to travel and it sparked this uh, travel bug, but more than a travel bug, I think really tied to that concept of learning was about learning different cultures. And so at the age of 16, I was an exchange student to the Dominican Republic, which is one of the countries my mom grew up in, in her back in the 50s, uh, and then chose to go study abroad in Spain and university and then worked in London after college, a Fulbright scholar in Australia, and then had this incredible opportunity to move to Japan with my family. And I do see a deep connection with this, um, this, this sort of the academic learning for me, sort of the, the getting knowledge. And then there's the human connection of learning, which is really that culture and different people and really seeing how we're all shaped by different experiences, but really united in some common humanity at the same time. So do you think that your drive for learning overcame any questions you might have about starting your business? Because it was this next adventure, like I wasn't going to learn anymore if I stayed here. Mm. So it's like, it kind of fuels your, your risk taking in your business where, okay, I'm going to start a business. Okay. Now I'm going to write a book. Now I'm going to go be a speaker. Now I'm going to yeah. go do this just because I have to learn whatever this new skill is. Well, certainly I think the learning components tied to it. Um, my, uh, my second strongest strength is achiever. So if you put in front of an opportunity for an achievement, I'm going to be there. You're like when I moved to Japan, I'm like, I'm going to learn Japanese. And sure enough, I passed, you know, the basic language uh, exam from the, you know, the, the government has. I think that the, the things that led to my desire to learn, but also my willingness to put myself into new situations, like moving, you know, 16, back when there was no internet and cell phones and all that, go to the Dominican Republic as an exchange student or moving almost every country I've moved to. In fact, every country I've moved to, except when I went with my family, I went by myself. I didn't know anyone. Um, my mom would always say like, wow, you're really like brave and put, I'm like, oh, but this is just who I am. And so I think when starting my own business, I was able to pull on those experiences and it was a combination of both. I'd not sort of needing a new learning experience, as well as knowing that I could, that I was going to be able to, to put my energy and commitment behind making this a success, or at least giving it a try and learning from it. Um, and also so, and learning from it. Yeah. Well, learning from it and also building. <laughs> and the other part is relationships and connection have always been so important to me. And so building on the relationships that I had uh, built through and cultivated over the prior, you know, decade and more. And I think that's really important too for con people considering moving into a consulting role is that your connection with people is so important. And like, how are you showing up again to really create genuine human connection to help them learn, help them be better and to stay connected. And so my ability to do all three of those being a, a learner, an achiever and a connector is really what I think made it such an easy, seamless trans, well, I shouldn't say seamless uh, because there were a lot of up and downs, but a, a transition that was 
not as challenging for me to make because I had those as part of my core and what I'd cultivated as well. So it's interesting that you're bringing it back because a lot of people who are consultants and coaches, you know, do like to learn and are people, people, but there, I, I experienced this similar kind of thing when people are leaving to start their own business or they're needing to rebrand and they have this, I should already know this myth that mm. keeps them from learning. It keeps them from learning like the digital marketing or even figuring out their ideal client or whatever it is. Like I should already know this or they, and they get really angry in some ways about the fact that they don't know how to do this. So it gets them, you know, mm. so it keeps them in that loop. What would you say to that kind of person around? Like, I should already know how to do this. I know how to market. Yes. Well, I've, <laughs> you're reminding me how much I have learned about being a business owner and, and really some major shifts that had that take place in the beginning the learning curve wasn't so much for me because I was the, the way my consulting was happening is I had a few in consulting engagements with a few clients that I already had relationships with. And so it was very easy to go in and just sort of do that work. But as I transitioned to writing a book and then offering these Japan trips and now with the pandemic offering a lot more programs in the digital offerings and online programs, I realized, oh my gosh, how much I didn't know, even starting my, I started a blog when I moved to Japan in 2015. I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to, I don't know the tech side of this. Thankfully, my brother was able to, he's like, let's just get you set up with a website and here it is and get going. So two things, um, you don't have to do it all yourself. So ask for help because when you're in a company, there are people who have expertise in these things that you can draw on. So um, there have been a lot of things I've liked to learn on my own, like I managed my whole website for years and years. It was only last year when I did a website refresh. I now have someone managing my website because I realized as my business has grown that if I'm still doing everything, I don't have the, I should be doing sort of my zone of genius and the thing that, you know, I should be doing client facing work. I should do either creative work, the relationship building, those things that only I'm uniquely positioned to do in my business. And I also really enjoyed learning how to do all aspects of that. But I also realize I'm not as good at some things. Like I'm a great content writer. I am not a really good sales web page writer. And it's very hard for me. And so I also realize, oh, I need help. I need someone to do that type of work for me. And so to invest in your business, and you know, you have to be at a certain it depends on where you are in your business growth, because you may not need that in your early stages. So, and I know you've talked a lot on different podcast episodes too, Betsy, about how to invest in your business and where you are in your, your growth and what kind of business you, you have as well. So my business has really grown and changed. And as I've, it's gotten bigger, I've realized, well, I love learning all aspects. I shouldn't be doing all aspects. And yeah, that's but, an important mindset shift. But I think that there's something about the learning at the beginning is that then you know how to outsource properly. Yes. So one of the big mistakes I made when I, so I invested smart in many ways when I first started my business. So I invested in a really good website designer. I had a really great strategist and all of that, but I didn't understand any of the SEO components that were behind, mm -hmm. behind my business. And I didn't understand you know, the role of the email marketing. And I didn't understand certain aspects of digital marketing at all. And I, when I was making changes, I'm like, oh, I know enough, you know, I could take over this. Then mm. I, then I wound up like destroying my organic search because I didn't know what I didn't know. And mm. it's almost like it would be good to know it so that you, you can't manage somebody or outsource properly. And I think it's important to know that, you know, what good website copy looks like you just may not be the one to execute the website copy, or that might not be your thing, but knowing that website copy is different than content copy, that's yes. an important piece of information, which is why, again, it goes back to, well, I should already know how to do this because I know how to write a book. I'm like, well, you could, you could do business presentations and all of that, but that doesn't mean that you know how to do this. That's what, that's actually what you and I bonded over when we met a couple of weeks ago at Carol Cox's um, retreat is that we're really great expert presenters. That doesn't mm. mean that we know how to give those emotionally storytelling kind of talks. That's a new skill set. So now just invest in yourself to learn those things. Exactly. And well, I think I, I have a quote from my book that I say is learning's never perfect and it's never complete. So, and I think that if you have a learning mindset, you really can embrace this, that like the more you learn, the more you realize you have to learn. 
and that sense of humility that we always have opportunities for growth. And even if we can become like develop mastery in some areas, there's always way to keep elevating your game. And as you said to, you know, you and I met because we're growing our, our speaking skills. We're both obviously uh, seasoned presenters and facilitators and speakers, but how do we improve and get even better with a, you know, bigger, with a different style. And so, um, yeah, I think that I would, that concept of learning to me is so critical to individual success, team success, and organizational success too, because if you stop learning, that's where you stop innovating. That's where organizations get stagnant. Um, if teams stop learning, people aren't feeling engaged anymore. And like things aren't, you know, just kind of showing up to do a job rather than showing up to become something better. And then individuals too, we all have this, most of us, I think, I think as humans have this desire to, I don't know, elevate from where we are in some capacity. And I think that the whole idea of like learning and and if you're planning on being a lifelong learner, and if that's who you are, like, okay, I'm not going to retire at any point in time, because I'm always going to want to be of purpose. I want to be moving and and doing things and contributing. One of the things that stood out to me when, um, when we met and you're, you showed me your book, I was fascinated with the title and Mm. your philosophy, which is going from learning to lead to leading to learn. And it's like, well, there's a transition. There's like two different leadership styles, if you will. Like, it seems like first half of your career, you're learning to lead. And then it seems like second half of your career is like that leading to leading to learn, you know, and it's like making that transition. Can you explain a little bit about the difference between these two approaches to leadership? Yeah. So thank you for, for that. And, you know, they're, they're not totally separate from each other. There's an overlap because we always need to be I see it as sort of these micro cycles, but it's true. In the beginning part of our career, we're we're learning to lead. We're learning how to develop our expertise, either from content experts, individual contributors, or as leaders um, through influence or through moving up into a management position. And so we're we're modeling the way, and people are showing us, hopefully, modeling the way. Sometimes we're just learning, making it up, and doing our best as we go along. Um, but really, what does that mean to step into that next role? But when we when we then move into more of a people development role, or we have a team, uh, or managing, and we can this be could be managing a project as well. Um, but managing a team or more senior in an organization, we need to lead to help create learning in the people who report to us or work with us, and at that organizational level. And it's about having that mindset of curiosity and of caring about the people, but also curiosity that you no longer should be having all the right answers. You may know the answer or what you think is the answer, but it's that's no longer what's always most important. Of course, there are times where you need to be, it's a problem that, you know, it's a big more, bigger strategic problem you truly have ownership for, you should be setting the direction you should be solving. But more often than not, there's all these different, I shouldn't say lower level problems, but components of problems or projects that you shouldn't be doing all the problem solving for. And so how do you shift into leading to help other people learn to lead? And that's where that cycle comes back. Cause like now you're, now you're shifting into leading to help others learn to lead and to learn. And so, um, and it's, and it's like what I, I call this chain of learning in our organization. Cause it's not always like boss to direct report. It can happen team member to team member, or peer to peer working across the organization. And how do we lead by asking more questions to inspire other people to think more deeply, to come up with more creative ideas and solutions. And so it's about, yeah, it's always learning first to lead and then leading with a mindset of learning and then realizing we have to learn to lead even more because it's challenging to lead to learn. So So tell me about the vision for the learning and excellence organization. Like what is that organization in your mind? How did Give me the attributes of a learning and excellence organization and culture. Yeah. So I'll start off with just, you know, this foundation of Toyota's held up as a model of one of these, the pin, one of the pinnacles of like a learning organization, people centered. It's Kaizen, which is a, the translation word of continuous improvement culture. Um, and as I explore in my book, this 40 year Toyota leader says the only secret to Toyota, it's not the tools, it's not all these processes and techniques. It's its attitude towards learning. And this is the secret sauce. It's invisible, 
But when we have a learning organization, it's one where there's clarity of where we need to go. So that strategic direction, so people can orient their, you know, their, their brain power and align their actions. But it's one that gives space for failure. Now, not catastrophic, we don't want catastrophic failure, but I'm saying these failures along the way and not blaming people, but looking at process. So a much more process oriented, not just focused on the outcome, but like the, the steps that we're taking, what are we learning if we're not, if things aren't on track or they're, you know, how, what adjustments do we need to make and how do we do that more regularly and places where we really see um, leaders not just telling everyone exactly what to do and how to do it, but giving space and sharing responsibility for coming up with ideas and contributing uh, their knowledge. It can be at the, you know, the frontline level of what are we doing today to improve our work or a higher level of like, how are we solving more complex problems? So if we have a culture where it's not blame or we allowed for experimentation, where we're focused on process and leaders are there giving space for people to do that and actually you know, supporting them by leading to learn. To me, that's where we really create that culture of learning. And when we have that culture of learning that's oriented to you know, the goals that we need to, we're more likely to get there faster. Yeah, uh, or so. exceed them. Or exceed them, right. Well, we come up with even better ideas than we even thought in the first place. So at Disney, we called the, we called what you're talking, or maybe we didn't, I don't know if this is the same. We would say we make continuous improvement a way of life. Would you say a learning culture is similar or would you say continuous improvement as a way of life is, is it a synonym or are they related to one another kind of different? Yeah, I would say that they're absolutely related to one another because you can't have continuous improvement without learning. Um, now there are sort of, what I mean is a true continuous improvement culture that really does that plan, do, study, adjust cycle. And that's the true continuous improvement cycle. Too many organizations are stuck in plan, do, plan, do, plan, do, and totally skip the study and adjust or the check adjust phase. They're not really in that continuous improvement in their the, uh, culture. And they're really not truly learning because learning is happens in that study, in the study phase. So it seems like a learning culture is more around like I act, do, learn, act, do, learn, you know, that kind of thing. But it seems like there's also a breaking of the unlearning kind of patterns. Like what would keep people from moving forward into that kind of learning environment? What have you identified that cultures, why, why do they stop learning? Why don't they have a, con- why, why do some of them do this? And some of them just do, I don't even know, even not even that part. I've seen so many, it's not even the plan, think, plan, think, it's just, Act, 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 act. Yeah, do, 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 do. It's like yeah. throwing darts at a. Yeah. Uh, and why is it? What what keeps individuals yeah. and organizations from learning? Yeah. So I've asked I've asked this question like to probably ten thousand people or more leaders over the last decade. Like, what keeps people from thinking and taking responsibility for problem solving in your organization? So really, this this learning organization, you know, so fear of blame is one of the top answers. Like, so people like coming down on you that you're going to be blamed for a variety of different things. Um, a sense of not having enough time, like so overburdened. And that, that again is the leader's responsibility. Like we have too many priorities and too many initiatives. So people are stressed and they don't feel like they have time because we always shortcut the study part because it feels like it's easy to let go of, but that's actually the accelerator to the outcomes we want to be seeing. And then the third part is, that you or I or someone comes in is just always telling them exactly what to do. And so we're sort of creating this sort of learned helplessness of like, why would I even contribute my ideas and my thinking? Because people are just going to tell me what to do. I'm not really being offered the opportunity for that. So blame overburden and just our telling habit. So it's interesting is people might leave organizations to start their own business because they experience those things, but then they've internalized the not learning behavior in themselves as they go forward and they start their own businesses where they get overburdened and they, they blame themselves for every failure. They're so afraid of failure that it's kind of interesting that, um, that we kind of internalize those things. So how would you recommend to an individual who may have gotten stuck in those, believe in everything that you're saying, they're learning and development coach type of people, and they believe in everything that you want to do for an organization, but they have a hard time applying it to themselves for those same reasons. What would you say to them? 
I know it's, it's so true. I mean, I find sometimes the same thing happens to me and this is what I do for a living. This is like my secret sauce. It's just recognizing we're human and it's our sort of our natural place to go. It's, it's about really just remembering that failure is okay. And so what can we learn and do differently next time? And also creating experiments where it's a little bit more safe. So throw towards like throwing all your money, say into this major initiative, how can you test it a little bit first to see whether or not that's something that could work? So, you know, running smaller tests um, and then reminding yourself that you do not need to have all the answers. Even if you're the consultant, again, as we started off this discussion, it's about how are you creating the, the structure for someone to learn and the pathway and that your responsibility is creating the frameworks, the structure and the guide and guiding someone there. And of course you may have deliverables and things that you've committed to and, and show up, but it's, you can't do the change for someone else. They also have to have to do it. Um, and I, I just think it goes back to how do you create that learning, that learning mindset and to be kind to yourself, um, to know that you're learning something new and there's struggle that's inherent when we learn something new. And like, I don't know, I've, <laughs> I have to remind myself, I'm like talking to myself here because there's some things that I've experimented with in my business lately that some didn't go the way I thought I did. And I could get really bummed out about that or be like, okay, well, how are we going to learn about this and do it differently? And I think that the point is, how do you, how do you do things that aren't like catastrophic? So not putting like hundred percent of your savings into some, you know, a high risk thing, but how do you make smaller tests of change? And you can do that as a business owner too, um, as well. And you're always going to learn and develop and get better <laughs> next time. And then you invest in somebody who could help you think it through, you know, because well, like, the worst mistakes I've made is when I've overridden good advice from, mm. you know, seasoned mentors where it's like, you let other people speak into you and you let go. Like I try, I tell my clients all the time, it's like, you know, you can attach to who you want to serve, attach to your intentions, stay loose on your goals and stay loose on your specific methodologies. That's one of the things that I learned from my Disney experience. What I love about Disney is Disney will just keep out a business model until it works. And there's absolutely no problem. Like the Disney Institute started off as some sort of like educational experience for guests who came here. It was a huge flop. But then there was one part that worked, which was the um, corporate people coming and wanting to learn the Disney way. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, awesome. So they created a whole business model. Everything else got shut down. They kept this and now it works. And I get teased all the time because I change things all the time on my website. I'm like, well, but I learned more, <laughs> you know, Maya Angelou, you know, when you know better, you do better. And it's like, I didn't know more. And it's, there's just that whole idea of staying loose to the right, staying loose on the certain things and attaching to the right things. I, I love what you said uh, there too. And I, I use the words intentions and goals uh, in my work as well. Like intentions are about who do we want to be in our hearts and, and uh, how do we align our actions with that? But we always have control of who we want to be. And I think it's so important to be aware of your purpose, who you want to be, how you want to show up. But then your goals may or may not change. Those are external to you. And it's good to set external goals, but to know that they may need to adjust and you may not, um, you know, may, you may not get there, but how, how do we see that as a learning opportunity? I've, uh, you can, if you're watching, you can see behind me, I have all these Japanese dolls called Daruma dolls and they represent the, the proverb fall down seven times, get up eight. And it's about falling down on your way to your goal because you know, you're going to have struggle and setbacks and I like to say that even if you uh, don't achieve your initial goal that you set out with, if you learn something from it, it's still a success. And so um, just a success in a different way. And maybe you achieved a goal that you never thought was possible. So I guess they're Japanese weeble wobbles. Like they the are, I, yes. So I use the word weeble wobbles. Sometimes Europeans and others don't know, but they are like Japanese weeble wobbles. And you fill in the Daruma's right eye when you have a goal and then it's left eye when you achieve it, but I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with them. <laughs> but I love that concept of recognizing the, the path to success and, and goal achieving our goals is not, again, it doesn't happen usually on that first go. There's a lot of trial and error and struggle and learning to get back to the learning bit. And it's about practice and intention and showing up and keep learning and keep going after it. And you will be successful in the end, even as you said, if that success is different 
in how it looks from how you originally imagined it. So Katie, you have been a Fulbright scholar. You've lived in multiple different countries. You have a bestseller. You have your own business. You are also a keynote speaker. Like what could somebody sitting there like, okay, Miss Lerner, what's next for you? Like what's, what's the next thing that you have on your on your agenda and your, oh, plan, your intentions for yourself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, I always have some new goals. Well, you know, it's about my, my focus this year is, you know, how we met in my learning is I'm a seasoned keynote speaker and I'm very comfortable on the stage and have a lot of keynotes lined up this year. And my challenge to myself is to bring in more personal storytelling to my keynotes to elevate them from being great to being amazing. Um, and so that's my, my personal um, challenge. I probably have another book in me that's more focused on my messages. Of course, my messages come through in this book, but I, I captured the memoirs and the insights of a Toyota leader, Asao Yoshino from 40 plus years at Toyota and wove those together with you know my own insights there. But I really feel like there's probably a book in me, but Writing a book is a significant undertaking and I'm not sure if I'm quite ready to jump off onto that goal right now. Well, you are recovering from a surgery right now. So I, give, her, give, I am. give some grace. Well, yes. And well, one of the things I've had a goal that's had to be on pause to talk about falling down is my Japan study trips, which were becoming, which are hugely successful and becoming a large part of my business. I was going to run two of them in 2020 and I was actually in Japan and February of 2020. And of course we know that's shut down and Japan hasn't opened their borders yet. So I have a, a trip set for May of 2023. Yay. And I am really hopeful. I've continued to be hopeful and patient that, that um, Japan will open its borders in sometime in the next come in the coming months in 2022. And we'll be able to run that trip and I'll fill in my Daruma's eye. So that's, that's another goal, but these are these things they're external from us that we don't have control over. So what are the things we have control over and what are the things we don't have control over? Yeah. I have a dream eye for you is I see you as the next Peter Sange, you know, talking oh. about the learning organization, but for this century, you know, for this generation, not for the, it's not mm. like he's that old, but you know, like for this generation is, I don't, I think we've forgotten about the learning organization. Mm. I think as, um, companies have gone so flat with their employee bases. Like we forgot this whole idea of learning. And so, you know, like what I would love to see is like this resurgence that you're talking about, because I think that there's something that's so empowering to say, I don't have to have all the answers, but I want to become this learning organization. I want to try new things and having that openness and having that hunger in yourself as a human you know, it's, it's going to push you to that purpose, you know, that rather than stepping on the hose, if you will. So that's my vision. Oh, with my heart. And you know what, like when you can let go of you having you or anyone having all the answers, it's so liberating and freeing. And it's like so much personal satisfaction, but it's what's more amazing is to see what amplified in other people as well. And so it's about us having the courage to let go and then seeing what more is created when we do that. You know, one of the things that I was reflecting on the retreat, um, Carol had interviewed me um, as well as another participant around the retreat and what mattered. And she brought in this really great speaker to help us with the mindset. And I don't know what it was about her talk that made me realize, because I, I, in terms of storytelling in my speaking, I'm really, really new. I'm very, very green in that one. That's not my favorite comfort zone. But something about that talk that made me realize, like, I just need to get like 1% better, you know, like yeah. if I just, if I walk away with 1% better, like, I think that would be good enough. Like, I don't have to be, you know, as good as these people who have been doing storytelling, speaking for long periods of time that, you know, I'm new and it's okay. 1% mm. better was enough. And I think that really changed things for me. I don't know if that's resonates with you and your philosophy, but it's just like, percent better if I could be one percent better. Absolutely. And if each talk or each thing you do is one percent better, then it's just going to keep magnifying and amplifying. And that's that's that sense of the continuous improvement. It's like you're ongoing and improving. And each time you do something, you get a little bit better or you learn what didn't work out so well, but that still will improve you. And I that's such a freeing mindset, isn't it? Like that you mm -hmm. don't like strive for perfection, but know that you're not going to be perfect. And so if you can get 1% better every time you're going to move towards that opposed to being paralyzed 
because you're not where you have this expectation of where you could be or where someone else is. Uh, one of the great, you know, leadership lessons or life lessons that Mr. Yoshino shared with me, a big aha moment that he had that really changed his own perspective about himself as a person, but also his leadership approach is judge yourself by yourself, right? So there might be people who are, have more expertise in something. You can grow, you can see that as the challenge to move towards, but how are you improving each and every day? I think that's why I loved individual sports actually, is because it was like me competing against myself more about having to achieve a certain uh, goal or outcome because that was it was the it was the improvement actually as now as we're talking I think that makes a lot of sense it's about that learner or that personal improvement as well that's sort of connected to the whole fabric of my purpose yeah and I think that where all of this comes out is your business is that you're in total alignment there's a lot of learning and development, learning and leadership consultants out there, but I haven't encountered anybody with this precise of a passion that connects with this strong of a strength as I mm -hmm. have encountered in you. And I think that it is based on who you are and you've aligned your business 100% to that. So if you were going to go back in time and you're looking at your younger self and you're like, okay, I'm at that crossroads and I'm trying to figure out like, is it time for me to kind of like go out on my own and do my own thing? Even before you got those, those contracts that probably made the cushion and the move a little bit easier, but when you were just trying to think about it, what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Yeah. You know, the, it would be the same version of myself. that was like weeks before I got those contracts because I made the decision to leave before I had those contracts, because I was listening to my heart about what I needed both as a learner, as a person, as a mom, um, and as just the environment in which I was working as well and sort of my growth and, and the scope of my work, I just decided it was better for me to leave and leap into the unknown than to stay in a situation that was no longer giving, it, you know, you don't just jump immediately, but no longer really fulfilling me and giving me joy and actually was causing significant stress in my life. And I had some other things going on as well. And that, and I, I gave the same coach who gave me advice that I, you know, helped me make some shifts. She said the same thing. You need to leave, pay attention to what's going on for you and do what's right And the rest will come. It mm. will come. And so I would, I, I just would con continue to encourage that person that was feeling like I couldn't leave to to say the same words that my coach did is to pay attention to yourself and to know it's okay to make the leap, even if you don't have everything lined up yet, even if you don't know what's going to come, because when you close the door with grace to another opportunity, you then give space for creation for something else. That's and so awesome. I think, you know, and, and if I look back on different career changes I made from moving from academia to consulting and then actually leaving Australia where I'd lived for four years and come back to the US. It's all those same things. It's about paying, paying attention to what's important to you and being in alignment, as you said, and then taking that leap um, and, and the rest will come. So is there anything else you'd wanna tell me about learning, learning organizations, your entrepreneurship journey? And I just didn't ask you the right question. Oh, well, I, you've asked so many amazing questions and I could talk about the, to the topics of learning and of people development and your own personal development. Um, but, you know, I would, I would like to go back to all of our learning comes back to ourselves. And if we start with ourselves, that's where we amplify our impact. So bring that concept of learning back to yourself and your intentions and how are you in alignment? Like, what's your purpose? Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? What are the actions that really would align with that and then work each and every day in showing up that way. And if you, you know, if you didn't, what did you learn and what can you do differently each, every time? Because when we're in alignment with our purpose and who we are and how we want to be and the impact we want to make, we're so much more fulfilled and we're able to then deliver more to our clients, to our families, and then create that impact. So create that learning cycle for yourself set an intention each day and reflect and learn and adjust. And if you can do that, you're going to achieve so much more and feel so much more satisfaction in your life and no matter what aspect it is. So we'll make learning a way of life then. Yeah. Learning is a way of life. So how can people find you and if people want your book, where can they get it? And what else do you got for the listeners? Yeah. Thank you. So my website is K B J Anderson, my 
full name is Katie Brian Jones Anderson, but that's a mouthful. So KBJ Anderson, uh, you can connect with me at .com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, again, backslash KBJ Anderson, Twitter, same Twitter handle. I'm on uh, Facebook page two. My book is Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, and it's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook soon in 2020. It's going to be coming off on different ebook readers. And I actually read the book. Wow. Um, it's available on iTunes and Apple uh, as well. So you can listen to me read and there's a companion workbook too. So you can go to my website to find out more or learning to lead, leading to learn.com or just go straight over to Amazon or Audible to, to get that. And I genuinely love connecting with people. And uh, as I talked about creating this chain of learning together. So reach out, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'd love to support your learning journey, either as connections or working together um, individually or with your organization. And one last thing before I let you go. So a lot of my listeners are consultants and coaches or aspiring consultants and coaches. How could they use your book to further mm. their consulting and coaching rather than, I assume it's probably written towards the executive leadership audience. How could, how could my clients use this to benefit their practice? So actually this book's written not for leaders at all levels and regardless oh. if you're working individuals. So I really told it as one person's journey of learning to lead and leading to learn. And it's also a story about connecting with your own purpose and the actions you can take then to align with that purpose and also to help develop others. So if you are in a consulting role or a coach role, how you show up to do that is so foundational to the leadership lessons in here about asking questions, showing the way, how do you help people set direction and understand where the strategy is? And at the end of every chapter, I actually have several reflection questions about each story to help you reflect on your own life. And so uh, people, regardless of their industry and regardless of their role, have found it uh, unexpectedly a personal transformation as well as an enjoyable uh, story to read as well. So it's more around learning how I'm going to show up and being that kind of person. So it's me becoming the instrument of change. Yes. And this book's going to help me be that instrument of change. And absolutely. And it gives you context and reflection for yourself, because as I said, it all starts with you and how you can take these lessons into your own life. That's awesome. What, what's a Japanese greeting for our, uh, a farewell before, as we sign off on this podcast? Well, you would say sayonara, but sayonara is a very formal, like you're gone. So, uh, uh, matane would be next time or matane, matane, matane. I'd say domo arigato gozaimasu. So thank you for having me on your podcast, Betsy. It's so great to talk more and, um, not the last time I am confident. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire in you, please rate and review enough already on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, visit me on my website at betsyjordan.com and it's Betsy Jordan with a Y and you'll learn all about our end-to-end -end services that are custom designed to accelerate your success. Don't wait, start today.